you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast, Iger Encore. The Disney board ousting CEO Bob Chapek and replacing him with his predecessor, Bob Iger. Disney shares rallied on this news, but is the old boss coming back to a new media landscape the right move? We'll debate that. Plus, outbreak in China, the mainland reporting over 26,000 cases on Sunday and the first death since May. Beijing again tightening its COVID controls and market ripple effects coming up. And later, from hero to almost zero, we'll go under the hood of Carvana's epic collapse from almost 300 bucks a share one year ago to just seven today. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the changing back of the guard. Shares of Disney popping nearly 6.3% today for their best day since December 2020. The move coming after the company announced Bob Iger would return to the helm of the media and entertainment giant nearly three years after handing reins over to Bob Chapek. Still, even with today's gains, Disney is down 37% this year, has been cut in half from its all-time highs hit in March of last year. So can old blood breathe new life back into this storied stock? Tim, your take. Uh, I think the Who song is meet the new boss, same as the old boss. And, and the question, I think the Who do it better the second time. I, the, Bob Iger is is a, a cult hero in CEO land, and I think it's great to have him back. Uh, as a shareholder, I, I think as it relates to where the media business going and the different parts of the business and the distribution. Look, to be clear, Bob Chapek uh, on the park side, I mean, it, things have never been going better in terms of gross margins and where they've been. I, I think it, this tells you just how poorly the execution maybe seems like it is on the most important part of the business. So clearly, uh, linear TV, we know what's going on with that. What's going on with streaming is, is certainly losses that, that remain significant in the near to medium term. So uh, the valuation back of the company, again, you have to look at it in, uh, as a sum of the parts. And if you look at the the core business, um, really attractive here. And then the question is, uh, if look, if you're going to price Disney at a premium to Netflix, which it was getting for a while on streaming because it was growing faster, um, are you rethinking that here? I guess the question here is, can Bob Iger revive or change the fate of linear TV in terms of how the company deals with that decline, which had been in place prior to his leaving the company? And can he make more profitable the streaming service, which, by the way, he was the architect of before he left. Dan, you're a shareholder. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think all of the above. I mean, I think that the, the market was speaking. Investors were speaking. The only people, it's really interesting. If you look at, like, analyst ratings, and again, we don't really care about that other than just as, like, one input as it relates mm -hmm. to sentiment about a story. You know, despite the stock's decline over the last year or so, there were still 28 analysts. This is perfect. that the rate of the stock a buy, only five holds and no sells. And this stock was just trading at five-year lows. So, like, execution wasn't good, but the analyst community was still fine with it. Investors were not. So if you want to get some confidence back in the plan for this company, I think it's important. I mean, listen, as far as I'm concerned, Iger will go down in history as one of the most geniuses as it relates to M&A. If you think of Pixar, Marvel, Lucas, and all the things that Tim just said, the flywheel, 
goodwill that exists for all of these different properties they have. That's the core of it. But it's not lost on any of us that they took on a lot of debt mm-hmm. to buy, um, you know, like to do that that deal, right? The, the, the Time Warner deal, or excuse me, not the Time Warner deal, the 21st Century Fox yes. deal um, in 2019. That's kind of what they're saddled with, I think, at this point. Right, and Hulu's going to maybe hit them with more debt. But, we, yeah. you know, yeah. we'll so, get to I mean, But again, if you want somebody to fix, you know, some of the parts that were broken over the last few years, I think he's the guy to do it. Yeah, and clearly you're seeing this. I mean, investor sentiment is clearly boosted with this. I mean, you're seeing this in the stock price today. People really like to see him brought back in. And the stock has done really well under him previously, and I think you're going to continue to see that moving forward. Their valuation has come down so much from where their highs were. So, yes, it is still... Uh, you know, a little bit more expensive than where the markets are. But I do think that it's, it's started to become really attractive here. And especially when you look at things like ESPN, I think is really one of the big things they need to figure out. And if they can bring some profitability there, the question is, do they do anything with sports betting? I know that's really been discussed about. But if he starts to really bring up any of this stuff and, and can fix those things, I think that's really only going to be a benefit for Disney. Seems like one of the big problems, Guy, in the latest quarter was that $1.5 billion loss in Disney Plus, and and can Bob Iger do anything to change that? I mean, he can cut spending, but then will you have the content needed to have that streaming service? Or acknowledge that it's a loss leader, and Tom Rogers is going to come on, so I'll let him discuss that. But, you know, he's he's a robust 71-year-old guy, soon to be 72. He looks like he's in his 50s. He, as Dan mentioned, I mean, he was the architect of so many great things. And my sense is, instead of trying to fix things that might be unfixable, He'll try to figure out ways in this new world, and I think he'll succeed. The question really comes down to, and Tim alluded to this, as did Courtney, do you want to be short a stock that's trading at 18 times next year's numbers, which is historically cheap to itself? A stock that also just traded down, I think, on November 9th to 86 and change, which sort of mirrored the lows we saw in March 18th, 19th, 20th of 2020, uh, and has some upside now with this, with him back in the role. So. I'm not saying you necessarily have to go out and buy with both hands, but if you've been in short and enjoying the ride down, I think you absolutely have to cover given the news we just heard. Let's say you're not short and you're not in the stock. Would you buy here, Tim? Yes. Yeah, I, I think the, the valuation is compelling. And uh, I'll just say that I, I've been uh, nibbling small around these levels. So I've, I've owned it higher. I've owned it lower. Um, but I, I just think that the, the story... I believe that the streaming tailwind, the secular dynamic that all we do is talk about, all we, ha- all we have done is talk about, uh, unless we're going to revalue everybody. And I think media stocks have been destroyed. And I think they've been destroyed for cyclical reasons that on some level, I think they've seen their worst pricing in as opposed to companies we think have credit issues and things we haven't really seen yet. I think on the media side, we kind of get the sense. And people sold first and asked questions later. I think Disney had a lot of that. The losses in their streaming business are things that are challenging. They're not going to change in the short to medium term. And this is a company that, if anything, people are questioning whether they're about to start cutting costs and doing this. And I think, maybe, you know, if anything, you know, maybe Bob Iger puts some of that on hold, believe it or not, because I do think it's, it's you need to send the story that this company is ready to do what it takes to be at the leader. And I think they're going to do that. Is, is streaming really a tale? with a one and a half billion dollar loss in the last quarter. I mean, it, that's what punished the stock. So I understand that maybe in the future yeah. it's a it's a tailwind. But right now, isn't it the biggest weight around Disney and its valuation? Sure. But I mean, we're going to start to see incrementally smaller losses. Right. And that will be part of the story. And then you kind of get the leverage on this massive catalog that they're building and spending on. Um, so to me, I think it's kind of interesting. I'll just say this. If you look at today's gap on the opening, filled in that gap from earnings where the stock was down more than 10 percent, was trading very near um, a two year low. If we look at the covid low in March of 2020, it traded about um, 
80 bucks or so prior to that, and we were saying on the show, I thought it would be a buy somewhere with an eight handle, and it was. But here's the thing, and especially if you think, I, I don't like the market action here at all, and even with this news, it'll be interesting. I think this stock will go back and retest those lows, it, not only really? a couple weeks ago, but also the other lows from March of 2020. And I think a lot of stock, I think the S&P is probably headed back towards the lows at some point over the next you know, few weeks to few months or so. So this stock will not be immune. And to Tim's point, I mean, you know, Iger's not going to do the things that the analyst community, they already have the buys on the stock. They're not like lowering the ratings now that he's there. And now investors who've been patient and you're sticking around here, I think you probably have to give them two years. And that's exactly what he has. Yeah. I mean, by the way, uh, and, well, and, and interesting, didn't we just sign Bob Chapek to a three year deal in June? I mean, it's yeah, but a, what did we all say? Kind of, it's oh, kind of yeah, he, can, well, he, can, he can be let go at any time. I understand. Well, you know, of the board. we all took the under on that. Contract. Do you remember that we, on the desk? We did it over under three years contract and we all took the under. Yeah. Nobody believed that. Nope. So you're taking, the over, you're taking the over on Iger? Yeah. Oh, he's longer than two. Dude, I saw him. Let me tell you something. I saw him at the code conference in September with Kara Swisher. The guy was on fire. I mean, like, I'm just telling you. I don't think there's any question about it. But, I mean, he, he didn't he leave because it was time? He, he not, no one was pushing he him out. He wanted to leave. He, he totally dropped to the mic. So, so uh, you know, maybe he re-ups for another couple after this. But so, so the, I don't so think that's the plan. If he dropped the mic because he thought it was a good time to go because he had accomplished a lot of things, he was going to go out as one of the greatest CEOs ever in the history of all that. Maybe there's a belief on his part that he can, in fact, turn this company around, Guy. That he's not going to come back for two years only to have the stock continue to just, you know, lose momentum and things to go pear-shaped again. I mean, he's not going to give up his legacy for that, is he? I mean, and for a million dollars, which is really not that much money. That's exactly right. If he didn't think what he saw was fixable or he had ideas on how to take this into 2023 and beyond. I don't think he would have taken the job no matter how uh, hard the board pushed. I think he thinks this is a situation where he can come in, put his stamp on it yet again, and take it to the next level. I don't, to your point, if he thought there was any semblance of failure here or something that could tarnish his legacy, I don't think he would have touched it with a 10-foot pole. All right. Uh, for more on Bob Iger's return and what is next for Disney, let's bring in Tom Rogers, Engine Gaming and Media Executive Chairman. He's also a CNBC contributor and a friend of Fast Money, of course. Tom, great to see you. Great to be here. Thanks, Melissa. Um, how much of Disney's problems will be solved by Bob Iger's return, in your view? Well, the first thing I'd say is this problem didn't have to happen. Uh, they needed somebody in this role who really understood the media side of the business, somebody in this role who had success with streaming, somebody in this role who understood how to build up the key content franchises, somebody in this role who was a deal maker. They had that person. It was Kevin Mayer. They still have that person. He's still the right choice. Uh, The board made a mistake. Uh, I hope they don't make the same mistake a second time. Uh, Bob certainly brings some stability, uh, brings some uh, real fairy dust to uh, uh, a a tarnished uh, Disney story. Uh, But at the end of the day, this is not an issue that that had to happen. Uh, Now, as I've said on this show many times, the market got ahead of itself when it came to the Disney story. At first, people were totally ignoring the whole issue of the legacy business deterioration and what that would mean to profitability. The market was getting all caught up in headline sub numbers, even though sub numbers could easily be looked through when so many of the subs were coming from uh, India. 
where uh, they were uh, fairly non-economic. Now the market, of course, is focused on profitability. The first stop before profitability is engagement. You got to get more viewers spending more time to be engaged. Why? Because engagement is what allows you to raise price. Engagement is allowing you to reduce churn. And Iger and his focus on content should really help get the company more focused on engagement in its core streaming areas. And with that, profitability should follow. You made the the point in the notes that uh, Disney Plus's engagement is less than that of Netflix. I'm wondering what you're measuring that by. And is that a fair measure considering, I mean, maybe maybe many of Disney Plus's subscribers while they may be old enough to subscribe, it's really for children who don't have the attention span. But that 20 minutes that that kid is watching TV is gold to that household. It is for you, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the engagement is measured by number of hours spent watching the service. And uh, Disney Plus is about 25% of what Netflix engagement is. And there's an issue there that all these services are going to have to raise price, raise price substantially. You can't do it if you don't have people wanting to spend more time with the service. And content focus that Iker brings, I'm sure, will be helpful for that. There, there are two things that I think he really needs to focus on going forward. One, he's partly done already by being brutally honest that the legacy business is going to be pushed off a precipice. It's going to fall off a cliff. He doesn't know when, but he's honest enough to say that's going to happen. I think what needs to follow from that is Disney needs to stand up and say, look, this is our legacy business. This is what we get by way of subscriber fees. This is what we get by way of advertising for each of those subscribers. And this is the margin on that legacy business. And they are going to fall off and fall off quite drastically. Then we have the streaming business. And this is what we get by way of fees. And now with advertising support in there, what we get for advertising and what's the margin on that business. And as one completely falls off and the other presumably builds up, do those lines cross? Does it ever get to neutral? Does it exceed neutral? It's not a hard math analysis to show, but in the interest of transparency and people really being able to follow that story, that's what they're going to have to do. The second thing they're going to have to do is they got to solve the Hulu Comcast problem. That is just hanging out there. Uh, Some people are saying they ought to uh, uh, sell it to Comcast because they shouldn't take on the additional balance sheet burden of buying Comcast out. Others say, geez, if they do that, they're going to shrink this down to what you were just talking about, Melissa, a kids and family only kind of uh, future story. And it needs to be one that's broader and bigger to compete against Netflix, Amazon and Apple. And uh, in there, there's a major dilemma. That one needs to be resolved. Hey, Tom, it's Tim. You know, Guy refers to you as the stud, so I'm not going to dispute that. But you're, you're also a media mogul. That's another term we're going to use for you. And I, I'm just going to ask you to comment on streaming, because everything you're saying about Disney's uh, losses in streaming, you could say about Netflix, which I'm long. I know you're bullish on Netflix, too. But I look across the streaming space. What happened to the premium to this kind of growth? What happened to the, the secular movement that was going on here? Because it seems like Disney's issues are everybody's issues, as far as I can tell. Well, uh, Tim, uh, you know a lot more about a lot more companies than I do, but I dispute that analysis of Netflix. Uh, Netflix is profitable, uh, has been uh, both on a net income basis and a cash flow basis. 
The bear story on Netflix was a long time was this thing is never going to throw off cash. It's throwing off cash and it's throwing off uh, EBITDA to the tune in the last 12 months, I think $6 billion of EBITDA. It has a very different streaming position right now. I happen to agree with Barry Diller that uh, Netflix has already won, given that it doesn't have to worry about the drag on a ma massive drag on profitability of legacy decline. Um, I, I do think that because of the push and pull that streaming represents for companies that have uh, declining legacy businesses, it gets a lot harder to figure out these issues because streaming right now isn't profitable uh, for them. Uh, for Disney, it ended up being surprisingly less profitable, un more unprofitable this last quarter than many people thought. When that actually hits profitability, I think many people are still uh, not understanding. And I think when it comes to whether or not they need to make a massive additional cash outlay to buy out Comcast from Hulu, it complicates that analysis even further. Tom, it's always great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tom Rogers, Engine Media. Guy Dami, how many times have we played Would You Rather on this television program? Does hundreds, hundreds thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands. I'll take the over. over thousands. How many times have we done Would You Rather Netflix or Disney? Probably maybe 50 I would times. Say, ten, you know, dozens oh, of yeah, times. I would, I would say 8% eight, of the game has comprised eight, Netflix versus eight Disney. 8% of the question. game. That's a lot. I mean, if we played it tens of thousands of times. Okay, so the last time we played it, you chose Netflix over Disney. So does that change now that Chapek is out? No, it doesn't change at all. And, you know, that was a decent call then. I think it's going to be a decent call now. Again, what happened over the last 24 hours does not necessarily change the short-term fate of Disney, although I don't think you want to short it. But the Netflix story to me has just been reinforced by the fact that everybody but Netflix is scrambling. Reed Hastings actually tweeted today saying something like, I was hoping that Bob Iger, you know, went to politics or something because he's intimidated by him. But that was somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I think he realizes the position that they find themselves in. And even with the rally at 25 times next year's numbers, I think Netflix is attractive. Coming up, we've got some after-hours action and shares of Zoom and Dell. Uh, they're both on the move after the company's latest results. We'll bring you all the details next. Plus, could a TikTok block be coming? Calls for a ban on the video app growing louder. The warning from top lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. That's ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. An earnings alert on Zoom video shares dropping despite better than expected results for the third quarter. The company's guidance coming in below estimates. Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Yeah, Mel. So Zoom with those mixed results for Q3 with some warnings about profitability for this current quarter. Let's go over the Q3, though. Beat on the top line. Uh, sorry, beat on the bottom line with EPS, $1.07 versus $0.84 cents adjusted expected. While revenue was in line with expectations at $1.1 billion, but it's that Q4 guidance sending shares lower after hours. The big miss on EPS expectations for the current quarter. They're expecting up to 78 cents adjusted versus 81 cents the street was looking for. And revenue outlook also just shy of expectations at $1.105 billion. CFO was just on the call now, Mel, uh, blaming foreign exchange headwinds for that. And speaking of foreign exchange, companies saying growth hurt this last quarter by foreign exchange headwinds, like many other software companies, shaving two percentage points off revenue growth year over year. Customers still growing, though, more than 209,000 enterprise customers, up 14% from a year ago. Zoom shares, though, down 56% so far this year. And don't miss Zoom CFO Kelly Steckelberg going over those Q3 results on Squawk Box tomorrow at 8.30 Eastern. Mel, back over to you. All right, Steve. Thanks, Steve Kovac. Um, a lot of the reasons a lot of other businesses are citing a slower economy, inflationary pressures, but specifically they're losing uh, small business customers, which I thought was interesting. Where do you stand on Zoom court? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to have to go against this year because I do think if you go into a slowing economy, you're going to see some of that IT spending get pulled back. And really, Zoom does have a lot of competition. You're seeing things like Microsoft Teams coming out who are, are you know, arguably going to compete with them and might take a lot of their share. Um, and we are going into a slower growth. If they continue to slow as well, which people are expecting, I don't think it justifies their valuation. So I'm not a buyer of Zoom here. I mean, what can Zoom do to increase its revenue? I mean, it's taken over. I mean, the right. lower the lower <laughs> it goes, the more it's a one trick pony here. They have a good product. We all know it. There's a lot of bigger competitors, big platform companies that have, you know, they have competing products. They're not as good. It's just that simple here. So I look at this thing. It's got about, what, $17.5 billion enterprise value. I mean, this could be a really good bolt-on at a much lower level for another company. I'll just say this, though. When you look at these results, one of the things, when this company went public a few years ago, it was profitable. It was not like a lot of the other companies, tech companies, went profitable in the last few years. Our friend Jim Chanos at Wall Street Cynic, he's tweeting about this stock-based compensation. $305 million dollars in this quarter. That's up from like 119 a year ago. Over the last year, they bought back a billion dollars in stock just to kind of offset that. So it's not a great setup here at a time where they're probably going to be losing good people. They're trying to incentivize them versus stock, and they're buying back a lot of their stock that's going much lower. I, I, I hear you, but you just said something that I think is fair. It should, there's, I don't know if there should be a takeover bid in it, but when I look at it trading at three times EV to revenue, um, and I look at it, it's the software multiples that are out there, and its software business is, they're trying to tell you it's more than it is, um, but it trades at one and a half times versus multiples out there that are six to 60 times. So, I mean, you know, I, I understand there's nothing to get excited about, but we've done that in this stock. And I kind of feel like at this point, um, the, the business, you heard enough signs of stabilization over the last couple quarters that I think the business is stabilized. All right. Uh, we got another earnings alert. This one on Dell Technology shares of the old school tech company turning negative despite beating on revenue and profit estimates. Frank Holland joins us from Atlanta with the latest. Frank. 
Well, Melissa, you just hit on it. Dell well off its highs. At one point, it was up almost 8%. Um, the guidance that came out, mixed EPS guidance, soft revenue guidance leading to the stock to decline. We look at the previous quarter, pretty much a solid report. The EPS beat was fueled by its B2B business, that infrastructure group. Servers and networking sales up 14%. The laptop business, that was soft, but that was expected. Consumer sales down by 29%. A lot of those sales pulled forward during the pandemic. When you look at that EPS guidance, especially for next quarter, mixed at best. Uh, the top end of the range beating the estimates, but the low end well below the estimates. On the call, executives spelled out what they consider a very shaky and uncertain economic environment going forward. There's a high degree of complexity out there, whether it's around inflation or interest rates, what's going on with FX, you know, global growth in general, supply chain, geopolitical. I could probably go on, but you get the point that at this point, there's as we look at it, there's a pretty wide range of financial outcomes. Well, Dell also cited, Dell also cited a big hit to uh, forward uh, revenues in EPS due to currency impact due to the stronger dollar. They also said that revenues would decline next year. Obviously, you're seeing that impact on the stock, but they did say they expect to gain market share when the latest report on computer and laptop market share comes out in December. Back over to you, Mel. All right, Frank. Thanks, Frank Holland, for us on Dell. Uh, that was really a kitchen sink, guy. <laughs> If you gave him 10 more minutes, he'd probably give you a lot more reasons. Yeah, which is probably why you should just, when you're, when you're digging yourself a hole, drop the shovel. And that's probably what's going on here. Look, the stock made an all-time high in late January, early February, 62 bucks. A series of lower lows and lower highs since. We just bounced off, I think, 32. But, you know, if we start to roll over here, it seems a fait accompli. That's French, by the way, that we test that 30 buck level again. People will point to valuation but that's probably the wrong reason to look at this stock. I mean, you have declining EPS growth, declining revenue growth. Um, I think the stock is headed lower from here. We, oui. I, I would say we. Oui. We're speaking French, right? I believe. Oh, we, oui. oui. as opposed oui. to W. Oui. 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 But, but the, the point is that the complexity of the business that he just outlined in his comments, but, but what I heard that's the most troubling is the competitive landscape that's getting worse. So the ASP pressure and what's going to happen when these guys all try to outdo each other. That's really where this is going in a lot of the uh, electronics and hardware business. I think we're going to see it. We're going to hear it out of Best Buy, and that's tomorrow. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The heat is rising on TikTok as top lawmakers pushing for an all-out ban on the China-based app. What's behind the latest campaigns and what it might mean for U.S. social stocks? And speaking of China, more COVID lockdowns threatening the world's second largest economy. But one market expert says there may be an opportunity in the way. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money Calls for TikTok ban gaining steam over the weekend. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle sounding off on the Chinese video uh, app, calling it an enormous threat and a massive surveillance program. The warning comes as the Biden administration weighs a proposal to spare the app from the U.S. ban. TikTok has more than 138 million monthly active 
users in the U.S. Imagine if a ban went into place, the uproar, especially amongst the uh, the youth of our of our country. Oh but um, you know, this is gaining bipartisan support. So, in theory. Maybe it's closer to happening. I don't know. How do you handicap this? It's funny. You know, you bring up a great point. I mean, as Americans, we don't know how to make choices like this when it comes to consumer things mm -hmm. like that. And so it would be really interesting to see the sort of pressure. It's one thing to have two senators say that. Um, you know, listen, I think that there's probably an increasing chance of it happening. The, the more serious things get um, with China, the tit for tat as, a, you know, the economic stuff. And this is a really easy one. It's low-hanging fruit. We've talked about it a lot. This would be a huge benefit, I think, for um, Facebook and Snapchat, which have just seen their, you know, attention, their Eyeballs go down as TikTok has become a monster. You mentioned Facebook and Snapchat, and I actually think this is a better beneficiary for Snapchat, which I've thought previously, because it's the younger demographic, which you mentioned previously, is who is on TikTok. And I don't think that they're just going to go back to Facebook just if this were to get banned. So I actually think that that would be a better beneficiary for them or somebody else <laughs> to come into this space. I don't think this is necessarily going to be good for Facebook, and it's not a reason to go in there. Um, that being said, I'm really not going into the social stocks, but yeah, I, I um, don't see this helpful for Meta. How much does Meta go up if we if the U.S. announced a ban, Guy? 25 percent, given much? the levels we're trading at mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I think so. So what does that put it at, $134 stock or something-ish? I think that's reasonable to think, given the sell-off. But I'll tell you who else might benefit from this, Barnes & Noble, because maybe people start reading books instead of being immersed in these mindless nine-second videos that, I, that are completely lost on me. Yet again, I am a 58-year-old dude. You're not the key demographic. That is for sure. No. So 25%. You, you, are you with him on that one? I, I, I want to see Facebook cut their CapEx spending by 25%. That's more realistic. I think that's more sustainable in the stock price. Uh, I'll also point out that TikTok isn't perfect. Their, their, ad, their ad rev is down 20% this year, just like everybody else's. Um, they did just announce over the weekend that they were, hi they were hiring. So everyone else in, in Silicon Valley is hiring. Of course, they're not in Silicon Valley. That's the whole problem here. Uh, but they're actually adding 3,000 engineers. So um, I, I think their core business is under the same pressures. I mean, Facebook's issues are, are somewhat existential, but, you know. Yep. Uh, we got some uh, new developments on Disney. Kareem Daniel, Disney's head of media, and Bob Chapek's right hand is out following Bob Iger's return. This is according to a Disney internal memo. Uh, remember, not too long ago, the company reorged um, in order to uh, get content to the right places, so to speak. Kareem Daniel was part of that reorganization. Not too much reaction to the stock, but of course, we will expect to see a lot more movement in the upper ranks of Disney with Bob Iger's return. Meantime, after the break, COVID setbacks continuing to hit Chinese stocks, but could the group be setting up for a major reversal? Evercore's Julian Emanuel will join us next to lay out his take on the space. The dramatic upside, he says, is in store. Do not go anywhere. Back right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks kicking off the holiday week lower. The Nasdaq dropping more than 1%. The S&P and Dow falling a fraction of a percent. Disney, a bright spot today. Shares jumping more than 6% as Bob Iger returns to the CEO spot, replacing Bob Chapek. But Tesla stalling again. It's the worst stock in the S&P 500 today, falling almost 7%. Shares at their lowest level since June of 2021. 
Meantime, a down day for energy and oil stocks, uh, too. New COVID lockdowns and tighter rules in China reigniting global growth fears. State media reporting the first COVID deaths in mainland China since May. Let's bring in Julian Emanuel on the market consequences. Julian is Evercore ISI's senior managing director. Julian, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Um, it always feels like we're just one lockdown away from major you know, growth stalls uh, in China. And so you see this as an opportunity potentially? Well, that was certainly part of the narrative when oil was down $5 today. And then we reversed. Obviously, there was other news. Look, 2022 is the year that's all about getting to the long term through a series of very volatile short terms. But the fact is, is that coming out of the party Congress, uh, the government is changing the narrative around this, okay? Deaths as a percent of total cases, low. Uh, the fact that the cases have been spiking in multiple cities as opposed to Shanghai. All of this trying to change the psychology. And we do think that the zero COVID reopening is on schedule for March and April. And, and that's going to be a tailwind. So do you think China equities are an opportunity or do you think also there are some U.S. stocks that have been hit disproportionately because of the belief that they are one lockdown away from supply chain snarls? And I'm thinking of Apple specifically today um, and in recent weeks. Are there certain uh, discounts embedded in certain U.S. equities because of a fear of a China lockdown? So it, it's it's the, the two part question. Mm -hmm. First of all, we do think there's value in, in China equities themselves. Uh, we like the tilt towards the consumer. You've got seven hundred and sixty billion dollars of excess savings that if you go back and you think about how vaccines spurred uh, uh, consumption in, call it, the fourth quarter of 2020 and into 2021, it's the same type of effect that you could get. And then the other aspect of it is, is that you're going to have a surge in imports in all likelihood. The, the whole idea is that there's a slew of companies, we all know them, whether they make athletic apparel uh, or, you know, energy or a, a bunch that are going to ramp up uh, their sales when things unlock. Julian, uh, actually, Jules, if I may, um, I'm, Why curious, not? Cu I'm curious your view on the Xi Jinping Biden summit and what that means. You also mentioned almost a consolidation of power into the coming out of the party Congress. Sometimes in emerging markets, these are opportunities, actually, once you've cemented power for the equity markets to rally, because you can get the pressure off a lot of these companies that have frankly already been smacked down. Is that is that what's going on here? So I think that the visuals coming out of that party Congress uh, when Hu Jintao was sort of led away off the stage were definitely frightening, yeah. conjuring up memories of Mao. And then basically, you know, there was a little bit of silence. But the fact is, is that uh, Biden and Xi meeting was definitely calming the waters, along with the fact that Xi making the point that uh, uh, there was no desire to see any sort of nuclear weaponry deployed in Europe. All of these things point to the fact that it's going to be contentious between the U.S. and China. We know but that, places but they need together. each yeah. other. Jules, what if we get to a point where China is going to reopen in the spring, but it hits when the U.S. is in a recession and they just cancel each other out? And then the other thing is, I heard this from a friend of mine who's a, an executive of a high-end travel company, International, where he said that there's a half a billion people in China who've taken really bad vaccines. And when they open up and they start going all over the place, that there's a, a likelihood that we actually have another wave of, you know, a, of a COVID breakout. I mean, the way I see this and let's think about this, we're still talking about COVID three years on here. This all just may match itself out and we may just be in this really slow growth environment for a long time globally. 
So this whole, and that is a very fair point, um, the whole idea of it canceling itself out when, if, frankly, the conversation has turned not from if in the month of November, but to when the U.S. goes into recession and how deep it is, which is why we think there's likely to be more pressure on U.S. equities looking out over the next several months. Uh, we still think that when you think about China and you think about the potential to really re-engage with the world, it, it, there's lots of upside, uh, particularly when you think about the valuations and the cash that's out there. Okay, so Jules, one final <laughs> would you rather, and that would be a, for today, you know, a dollar spent I'm going to have to call you Mel then yeah, after. Everybody does. It sounds like you like Chinese equities over U.S. equities right now. We do. It's, yeah. it's one of these issues where if you think about it, you've had a year and a half basically to divest given the acceleration mm -hmm. of the political risk that's been internal to China. And we think a lot of people have done that, reduced or eliminated China in their international benchmarks. And again, if you think that the United States and China need each other to keep the global economy going, it's a very good risk reward situation. All right, Jules, thank you. Julian thank you. Emanuel of Evercore ISI. Guy, would you um, agree with Julian on that choice, China, China equities here? <laughs> I, I mean, they're trading vehicles, so I'm going to disagree slightly, and I'm not looking to sort of middle this thing, but I'll say a name like Alibaba, which I think we've done a decent job, that's given you 7, 8, 35 to 50% rallies off lows. We just saw one over the last couple of weeks, traded down to 58 on October 24th. I think it traded 86 last week pulling back now. So I think you're strategically and tactically looking for opportunities to trade these things from the long side. But as an investment over U.S. stocks, I'll, I'll take a pass, Melms. Courtney? Um, I do think one thing you want to consider with emerging markets is when you look at emerging markets currencies compared to the dollar, they just hit a 25-year low recently. And when emerging markets currencies tend to come up against the dollar, they tend to outperform. And I think a lot of people forget this, but the decade after 2001, emerging markets actually did outperform. And I think a lot of investors just have never been in that period. But I do think we're starting to see really attractive entry points, and you definitely want it as a part of your portfolio. Ambassador. Well, two weeks ago, the, the reference, the point Jules made in terms of some of the China headlines brought everything to a low. Since that point, EMs outperformed the S the S and P by by nine percent, and and the dollar uh, is also up, you know, a couple percent off of the pullback it's had. I I think we're we're not going significantly. Uh, lower faster on the dollar, but I think the dollar has largely peaked, and that is, that's a, that's a huge benefit for EM investing. All right, coming up, SoFi sinks. Shares of the personal finance company dropping as it becomes the latest target in the FTX fallout. How they're responding to lawmakers when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. SoFi tumbling nearly 6% today after lawmakers called for a review of the personal finance firm's crypto business. SoFi responding that it does not partner with Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX crypto exchange and has no exposure to the now bankrupt firm. The company going on to say crypto remains a non-material part of its business. I mean, 
even if you don't have any relationship with FTX, there's just there's a crisis of confidence across the industry, no matter what. Yeah, so not great headlines, and we've all been through these periods of time, and they just won't stop because companies put out these mm-hmm. sorts of reports. And this is a company I've been positive on, and I was long, and I'm not long in anymore. And again, you just don't want to see these sorts of headlines for companies that you're invested in for other reasons other than crypto, because it does have the potential to be. Listen, look at the way Coinbase is trading. Look at anything related. Some of the banks that were lending these things. It's just a bad situation. So you know, in the meantime, I think you can steer clear of some of these names. I, I, I think the issues for SoFi, and I can't speak to what may or may not be going on in crypto, but before these crypto headlines were that this is a company that was priced like a fintech company. It's mm-hmm. a high multiple tech stock, which, by the way, also has an enormous credit exposure, I believe. I mean, again, based upon their core business. And, and it's not a good combination. And again, it's, it's I think you, you've seen a lot of folks were running to companies that looked like they were reinventing the wheel. And I'm just not sure that that's what we had here. But more importantly, I, I just get concerned about credit exposure. I get concerned about the consumer lending. And then the multiple never made sense. At some point, at some point, and I don't know when that point is, um, a lot of these companies are going to be buys, Guy, right? I mean, in the carnage, there's going to be some that emerge. Um, there's only, you know, people will still want access to crypto in some way, a way to buy and sell it. Um, so what do you th- how do you think about that, about that point in time? Yeah, let's back out crypto for a second. Listen, in terms of Coinbase, you know, Gene Munster came on a year or two ago and said, you know, Coinbase will be the bank of the metaverse. And that still might prove to be true. But obviously, we're years away from that. But in terms of a name like SoFi, at a $4.80 stock, given the uh, it just got obliterated today, I think it I think it came within three cents of an all time low, whatever. Here we are. I mean, I think you're making a bet on the expertise and the navigation skills of West Point grad Anthony Noto. And at this level, I'm willing to make that bet. All right. Well, the biggest crypto exchange seeing some bearish activity in its options today. Mike Co. has the action. Mike. Yeah, Coinbase, this thing traded one and a half times. It's already large average daily options volume. We saw puts outpacing calls by about two to one. And the busiest options where the weekly 35 strike puts, we saw over 21,000 of those trading for about 36 cents. Buyers of those obviously bet that there's further downside in this one, which did hit a 52-week low today. I don't know if it's going to hit below 35 by the end of this week, but clearly there's still a lot of bearish sentiment in space. Yeah, um, you got to bet that there's going to be congressional hearings on all of this, and everyone is going to be hauled up to testify, Courtney. So the, the mess is not all out there. I mean, the fallout is not seen entirely yet, for sure. No, absolutely. And I think this is likely going to continue with anything that is somewhat related to your cryptocurrencies. And so um, I do think it's something you want to be cautious of. This is not something I have invested in, so I can't speak of it um, you know, too in-depth. I don't have this for my clients. But yes, I do think that regulation is coming. Well, here's the thing on a Coinbase. And again, this is a company again, I've been positive on, and, and I think they've done a lot of really good things. Um, but you know, people in crypto are saying, get your coins yeah. off of these exchanges, because if you're the next thing to go, you're going to lose your money. And I don't know how a publicly traded stock is going to do well. Every every statement they put out about it, people are like, eh, well, let's see. You know what right. I mean? So it's a really tough road to hoe. We've been through this. This feels like September of 08 sort of stuff in the crypto space. Again, much smaller and not the potential for the systemic risk to the, the regular banking system, but it doesn't feel great here. All right. Mike Co. thank you. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. Not this Friday because we're off after Thanksgiving, but the following Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, shares of Carvana hitting the skids this year. The latest headlines that sent the stock to under 7 bucks a share um, during the day. It was over 300 bucks a year ago. Stick around. Much more Fast and 2.
Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Domino's. Mm. Catch that full exclusive interview top of the hour on Mad Money. Switching gears now to Carvana, shares plunging more than 12% today after announcing late Friday that it would slash its workforce by 1,500. Argus also downgrading the stock to a sell, setting a loss of competitive advantage. Carvana is down 97% this year. 83% in the last three months alone. We've talked about this one. We've talked about what the debt is telegraphing. Not good things. Uh, Dan, you highlighted this on our call Yeah, today. well, I highlighted it. Again, you know, it's a donut, as they say in the business. The equity is going to be worth nothing, and we're going to see more of these things. And in a day like today, we saw meme stock get killed. We saw SPACs get killed. We saw high valuation stocks without earnings get killed. We saw crypto get killed. I mean, the list goes on and on. I don't think you need to see crude oil when it was at its lows today. It just looks like, you know, people don't want to be in risk right now, and this is going to be Exhibit A, and I think some bells are going to go off when things like this file for bankruptcy. It's amazing that Argus downgraded it today Thanks very much. to a sell from yeah, a hold. Big help. After those huge declines. <laughs> right, exactly. Big help. Well, again, this could have been part of the last block where mm -hmm. at some point the multiples in these stocks never made sense, even when there were some tailwinds behind a business where you were you know, selling cars to people at their doorsteps and then selling the auto loans into the market to other lenders at a profit. That's the core business here, and that's a business that's gone bad very quickly on top of their own debt. So um, it, 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 whether it's a zero or not, I agree with Dan's view, and part of at least the what the markets need to see is all speculation. We've wiped through it. Um, and I'll, I'll push back a little bit and just say I don't think oil fits in that mode at all. Uh, I, I think there, it's become maybe a less crowded or it's become less of, a, uh, uh, of an underweight. I think investors are just starting to get it, and it's had a massive move. But, I, you know, first of all, Brent finished flat on the day. And I, and I kind of feel like if you look at where uh, the demand profile for energy is and the supply profile for energy, we're not going to be in any different of a place than we... Uh, the only connection that. is what I'm saying is today crude almost made a new 2022 low and it was down 5.5% after being down 35%. So what I'm saying is, is that people are shooting first and asking questions later and it doesn't matter what the trade is. And that to me, when you start seeing that, that means correlations are going to one. And a lot of people... Want Wanted to call a bottom in this market just a couple weeks ago because the CPI rating was two tenths of a no, percent no, less than amen. expected. And, and the so VIX that's is, all I'm saying. And I agree with you. And, and the VIX is at 23. Like, should the VIX be at 23 in this environment? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Right. On a day when Tesla continues to slide lower, guy, Apple continues to trade terribly. Um, these once stalwarts of the market are just continuing to trade very poorly. Warning signs are there. I think people are betting on the fictitious seasonality. I just don't think it's going to happen. And this, in a, in a, listen, short week, typically markets levitate. It ain't happening, at least today. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Guy. Northrop Grumman Melms. Tim Seymour. Healthcare trades cheap to the S&P, and in this tape, you want to own it. You want to own J&J. &J. Their medtech deal, I think, is innovative for years to come. Courtney Garcia. Uh, the emerging market story I do still like here, especially on days we are questioning the China reopening. I think VWO is a great way of playing that. Dan Nathan. Uh, yeah, I love that Iger return here, but doesn't mean the stock's immune to a sell-off here. So I do think you're going to retest those recent lows, but I think it's a buy. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.